As a Christian psychologist, uh, Dr. Archibald Hart has written several books, and he's probably best known for his book called The Anxiety Cure. And in this book, it's a great book, by the way, I recommend it to anybody who uh, is, is struggling or suffering with anxiety. But in his book, he writes that 100 years ago, panic and anxiety disorders were very rare. Uh, but industrialization and urbanization has become, has caused them to increase. He says that you have to remember a hundred years ago, there were not jets, there were not electric lights, there were not the concrete jungles that we live in today. He said the pace of life was much, much slower. He goes on to say that there was no late night TV, there was no football games that could eat up your night's sleep, there were no World Series, he didn't write this, I'm adding this part in. <laughs> That there were World Series, but they didn't start at 8 o'clock at night because you couldn't have light up the field at that time. And so uh, we, we put all this stuff in that kind of eats up our time. He goes on to say, he does write this, that we were designed for life at a camel's speed, but we are racing around like cheetahs. And that because of that, people are struggling with aggravated sleep disturbances, aching ulcers, throbbing headaches, persistent high blood pressure, intraceable pain, overwhelming tiredness, and worry that drives them into an early grave. I don't know which one you relate to, whether what I just read or what you saw on the screen, but some of you are probably thinking that could be your life, that you are just like that mom that was on the screen this morning, that you are moving and you are rushing and this pace of life is all over the place. You're so overwhelmingly tired that you're afraid that if you stop for a moment, you might fall asleep even on the kitchen counter. And if you've got kids, you know there's danger anytime you fall asleep when they're around. And so for some of you, there's this overwhelming pace of life that we're just trying to catch up and trying to keep up with. But for some of us, the pace of life is not what is our source of anxiety. It's not the fast pace, the keeping up with everything. For some of us, that's not an issue at all. For some of us, it's not the pace of life, it's the purpose of life. We are overwhelmingly tired because we are losing sleep at night trying to figure out where all this rat race is going. We're fine being in the rat race. We're fine running around like cheetahs. We're okay with that. But we're losing sleep at night trying to figure out where we're headed in the first place. And what's it going to look like when we get there? And, and we're fine moving at this cheetah pace, but, but why? What are we running towards at such a fast pace? And, and, and what awaits us? What prize is there at the end when we do all of this? And so for some of us, it's not the pace of life. For some of us, we're losing sleep at night because we're trying to figure out where all this running leads in the first place. And it's more dealing with the purpose of life that we're worried about. The good news is that according to Dr. Hart, that God has provided the solution to these problems. He says the antidote of anxiety includes three things. A reliance on God's Spirit, appropriating God's provision, and get this one, resting in God's care. And so for some of us, anxiety and uncertainty have held us captive for far too long. And the message of Hebrews chapter 4 that we're going to dive into this morning is simply this. It is time to rest. It is time to relax and to breathe and to pause and just rest in God's care. And so while panic disorders and mental health issues may be fairly new and maybe something that we're seeing a lot more of, the truth is that this need for rest is nothing new. In fact, it's been around for thousands and thousands of years because, like I said, in Hebrews chapter 4, which is where we're going to be this morning, this is the major subject of the text. This is what he talks about. He talks about this idea of rest. In fact, as we read through verses 1 through 11, you're going to hear this word over and over and over and over again, this word of rest. And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me this beautiful passage uh, that's going to invite us into resting in God's care. And so Hebrews chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read down through verse 11. But verse 1 starts off, says, Therefore, while the promise to enter His rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it. For we also have received the good news just as they did, but the message they heard did not benefit them. So they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed entered the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the foundation of the world. Verse 4, for somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And on the seventh day, God rested from all His works. Again, in that passage, He says, They will never enter My rest, since it remains for some to enter it, 
And for those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Again, he specified a certain day. Today, speaking through David, after such a long time, he was previously stated, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for, his, for God's people. For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works, just as God did from his. Finally, verse 11, Let us then make every effort to enter that rest, so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for the promises that You give us. God, we thank You for this word of rest. And God, we've sang this morning already about a battle that belongs to You and that we can see victory in You. God, I pray that even in the midst of struggle and battle, God, that we can rest because we know it is not our battle to fight. God, even in the midst of struggle, God, in, in battle, that we can rest because we know the victory is already secured and it's already won by You. And so, God, this morning I pray that we hear Your Word spoken to us this morning. God, I pray honestly this morning that we hear Your words and Your voice speaking and calling out, inviting us to rest. And so, God, I pray this morning for those who are just on the very edge of accepting and walking into your rest, to your invitation this morning. God, I pray that today be the day that they do it. God, I pray that today we will sit at your feet. God, that we will enter your rest. And God, we will allow you to define it in a way that maybe overwhelms us. That we will simply be overwhelmed by you and by the invitation that you give us, Father. And so, God, I pray that you will speak. And I pray that we will listen. And God, I pray that we will open our hearts to hear this message that you have for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Back in June, I had the privilege of going to the Southern Baptist Convention that was in Nashville. And uh, it's, it's an amazing event um, that, it, that happens every year. It happens in different parts of the country. And uh, for this particular one, there were about 17,000 people who gathered. And, and part of it is just this huge worship part, right? So there's parts that are just worship. And, and it's an amazing feeling to be sitting in a room with 17,000 other uh, Southern Baptists from really all over the world and have come to this convention. And uh, just to sing praise and worship God and hear some amazing speakers. And, and so part of that is, is what that is. But then there's other parts of it that are really like the world's biggest business meeting, right? That literally you have 17,000 people who all get to vote on stuff. All right. Now, I don't know if you grew up in a church that, that had business meetings. I grew up in a church, we had a business meeting like every month. All right. Every uh, first Sunday night of every month, we had a business meeting, and some of them lasted for hours. All right. And so the daunting task of 17,000 people sitting in a business meeting is quite an amazing feat. Right. And, and at this particular convention in June, there was this discussion going on uh, really kind of between two different groups. One group was wanting to, to kind of go back and change. They were wanting to, to fix something they thought was in error from a couple years ago when the last time they had the convention, right? So they, they, there was a resolution that was passed they didn't agree with, and so they wanted to kind of go back and say, hey, we don't agree with that. We want to stop that resolution from happening, right? And then, so they said, they did their homework, they did their research, and they said, hey, we've looked at the rules, and according to Robert's Rules of Orders, which some of you may be familiar with, that's the, the yes, you make a motion, second, all that stuff, all the rules that go into making a 17,000 member business meeting happen. Uh, there's got to be rules. For that. According to those rules, they said, hey, we can do this. We're allowed to do this. But there's this other group over here that, for maybe different reasons, said, no, 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 you can't, you can't do that. The rules do not allow for that to happen. And so for you to bring that idea up, you're really out of order. So we're not even going to discuss that. And so anytime there's this question that happens like that, and it's kind of it's a rule question, and we're going to follow these rules, what are we going to do? Uh, typically what happens is the, the president of the convention is standing there, he's in charge of this big, huge meeting, and 17,000 people looking over all of them, and this question comes, and he's like, oh, I'm not really sure. So what he does is he turns around, and there's this group of three or four people 
that are stand off to the side, and these are the parliamentarians. These are the people who know the rules. All right, they they have memorized the rules. They've slept with the rule. Like they 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 know these rules forwards backwards. They could quote them in their sleep. And so he turns around and he huddles up with this group of three or four uh, parliamentarians, and there you could see they're discussing. And this one's got this idea, and and none of us can hear anything that's going on. So seventeen thousand people all just sitting watching this little huddle go on over here. All right, and we're just all waiting to see what they're going to do. And then all of a sudden, it's something I've never seen before. Those three or four people that are huddled up over here, they look to a whole different group that are sitting over there, and they wave them over. And so here came three or four other people. And so now the huddle's a little bigger. Now instead of four or five, now there's like seven or eight of them that are all huddled up there. And, and so they continue the discussion. All the rest of the people are just sitting there, and we're just all waiting, waiting, waiting. And you know how, we good, how good we are at waiting. And so then there's this, all this discussion going on out here. And finally, the, the uh, president of the convention, he turns back around, and he says, first thing we're going to do is I'm going to introduce you to somebody else. Which I thought, that's an amazing way to get out of this situation, right? So the first thing he does is he says, I want to introduce you to this certain man. And he invites this man up, and he says, this man is a lawyer, and he is an expert in all that we are talking about. And so the president steps to the side, and the lawyer steps up, and he takes the place, and he says, let me uh, kind of figure this out for you. He says, yes, according to Robert's Rules of Order, yes, you can use that definition in, in uh, the way that you are, you can do that. Okay, according to Robert's Rules of Order, you guys are right. You can use that. You can rescind a resolution. All right. However, then he steps over here. However, the bylaws of the Southern Baptist Convention have a very different definition of the word you are all arguing and debating over. Right? The understanding of that word is very different in this set of documents than it is that set of documents. And by the way, in case there's ever a question, this is the, second, this is the set of documents you go by. You go by your bylaws and your constitution. All the other stuff is secondary to it. Right? So he's saying, listen, the, what you need to understand, the reason that this is a debate, the reason there's a discussion, is that you have these two different groups that are really working off two different definitions and two different understandings of this same word. And he says, to fix this confusion, we all need to make sure that we're on the same page. We all need to make sure that we're defining this word the same way and we're using it the exact same way. And until you do that, you're never going to come to an agreement whether this can or cannot happen. So what we first got to do is come to an understanding and a clear definition of what this word means. And so then he continued to read from the bylaws of what that word actually meant, how it was defined. You see, how we define words is very important for the way we live those words out. And see, the writer of Hebrews he seems to have the same problem in regards not to, to the Southern Baptist Convention, but in regards to God's rest. You see, the Jews and the Jewish believers that he's writing to, they would have grown up with one definition of rest. Right? They, from the time they were born, they would have been taught about rest, and uh, mainly about the, the Sabbath rest, and there's certain rules that you follow on this special holy day that make this day holy. There's special things that you can do and you cannot do. They would have known from the time they were a kid how much weight you could carry on that day and still be considered a day of rest. They would have known how many, how many steps you could take and still be considered a day of rest. Right? So they would have been memorized these rules and learned these rules and all of these rules would have gone through their mind. And this is their picture of rest. Right? And then they would have been taught the loopholes of the rest rules. Okay, Let me give you an example. The rules of the Sabbath for the Jewish believers work like this. That you are only allowed to take a certain number of steps until you have to stop. Okay, unless you enter into or you cross a threshold, all right, then your count starts over. All right, so understand this is how this loophole works. So I can walk, let's say, let's, uh, this is not the right number, but I'm just going to make this up. I can take 2,000 steps, but, in that, but if I cross a threshold or a doorway, then my step count starts over. All right, they didn't have Fitbit, so imagine your day of rest is literally just counting one to every step you take, all right? Sounds like a day of rest to me, all right? So what you would do is, if you need to, take, if you need to go to your neighbor's house, which happened to be 3,000 steps away, you couldn't do that because you're only allowed 2,000 steps, except if you cross a threshold. So what you do is you carry a little string in your pocket. And so you get to 1,998, 1,999, 2,000, right? That's it. Rules say you got to stop and you got to sit down and you got to sleep there until the sun goes down. All right? Actually, until the sun comes up the next morning. Except 
You can take the little string out of your pocket and you can put it down and suddenly you stepped over a threshold. Right? So now you start with one and you can finish your journey to your neighbor's house. So understand that while there were all these rules and regulations, there were also these loopholes that you could figure out and you could still do things. And so understand this was their idea of rest. That it was all about these rules and following these rules and making sure these rules were followed to the exact step and then how to even stretch those as far as possible and it still be considered rest. This was their idea of what God's rest looked like. But what the writer of Hebrews wants to tell them and show them and show us is, listen, God's rest is so much deeper than that. It is so much more than following this set of rules and and trying to figure out how many steps you can take. That that God's rest is really so beyond what you are limiting it to. That that God's rest is is much bigger than a certain day off or a certain day of the week. That that God defines rest. He does it in a way that's so much deeper. And what He's really trying to do is He's really trying to show His readers and us that there is a rest that God provides that is not going to be satisfied by following a set of rules. In fact, there is a rest that God provides that is only found through Jesus Christ. It's not going to be through the rules that Moses wrote down. It's not going to be following Joshua, who is the leader after Moses. We'll talk about him in just a little bit. And that none of those are going to be sufficient. If you want rest the way that God defines it, it's only going to come through Christ Jesus. And so what he's going to show them is, listen, we first need to get this definition of rest. We need to first talk about and understand how God defines rest. And so he does not kind of three different tenses or, or three different time frames. The very first one, he uses this example of the past. He points them to the very first instance, uh, the very first time the word rest is ever used in the Bible. is all the way back in the book of Genesis. He points them to creation. Right? And he does this in verse 4. I love how he says this. He says in verse 4, For somewhere... He has spoken about the seventh day in this way. And I love that. Like, somewhere God said this, right? And I don't know about you, but I've had those conversations. Like, somewhere it's there, I promise you. I promise it's in God's Word, it's there, right? Somewhere God has spoken, or somewhere He has spoken about the seventh day in this way. On the seventh day, God rested from all of His works, right? Now, the somewhere He's referring to is back at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 2, is actually, right? And so after God makes everything, He completes everything, He finishes the work of, of creation, In Genesis chapter 2, I want you to read this with me in verses 1 through 3. He says, So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God completed His work that He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all of His work that He had done. He blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it, He rested from His work of creation. Okay? So now, many of us have read that passage, and many of us came to, to, to this understanding that what we have this idea that that means God just stopped, right? That He rested. Because in our mind, this is what rest is that it's when we stop and we just lay down, right? And so, for many of us, we read this passage that God came, He finished everything, He got through day six, He created uh, animals, and He created humans, and then He just stopped. And He's just done. And for some of us, we have this picture in mind that rest is just this inactivity that God has been doing, or really not doing, since His point of creation. That He created everything, and then He just stopped. And maybe God's just kicking back in a lazy boy recliner, and maybe He's just flipping through. Maybe He's watching the World Series from heaven. I don't know what He's doing. But He's just resting. He's just up there chilling, relaxing, and, and, and all that. Right? But I want you to understand... There's something different going on here because God has never been inactive. I want you to notice very specifically what it says, that He rested from His work of creation. It doesn't mean that He stopped doing stuff. It doesn't mean He stopped existing. It just means that creation was done. It was complete. And so He's rested. He's finished that work. Right? But I want you to understand that the reason He rests from that work is because the bigger context of that passage. You see, to understand this idea of rest, we got to back up to chapter 1. The very last verse in chapter 1, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, reads like this. It says, God saw all that He had made, and it was very good. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. You see, there's more than just inactivity here. There is completion, but there's also God looking over everything He made. And and this pronouncement that it's all good, there's this satisfaction that God is satisfied with what He's made. That everything He's made is very good. 
It is right. It is perfect. It is just as it is meant to be. There is this sense of accomplishment that God has. There is this completion. There is this satisfaction that God has with all that He's made and all that He's created. And His work is done. And so he's able to rest, not in this like kickback leisure kind of way. He's able to rest because he is satisfied with all that has taken place in this creation process. He's satisfied and he's competent and he's content with everything that's been going on. And I want to share with you that some of you maybe hear this more, maybe some of you are watching online, you're, you've not experienced that type of rest. You are desperately searching for something that is satisfying to you. And the way you know that is because you are jumping from one thing to another to another to another, trying to find the sense of what we see in God's rest, the sense of satisfaction that comes with a completion, that comes with, with, with rest. And for, so for some of you, maybe sitting in this room, maybe watching online, maybe you're going to watch this later, but for some of you, you have literally jumped from job to job to job to job. And you do it because every one of them doesn't satisfy you. You do it for a while and it feels good and then all of a sudden it doesn't satisfy you. And so you pull, you're looking for something. So you jump to something else. And for some of you, it's not a job. For some of you, honestly, it's a person. You've jumped from person to person to person, whether it be a friendship or relationship, whether it be a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a significant other or whatever you want to call them these days and whatever, uh, whatever it is. But you're jumping from one person to another person to another person and you're looking for something to bring you satisfaction. Why? Because that's the way we were designed. We were designed by God to be satisfied, to be complete. The problem is we're looking for completion in the wrong place. We're looking for satisfaction in something that's never going to satisfy us. And the problem is we're looking for completion, honestly, in someone else who is incomplete as well. And you're never going to find completion inside of yourself. You're never going to find this sense of rest that God is talking about, this sense of accomplishment, this sense of wholeness in someone else who is incomplete themselves. You're only going to find it in the one who has completed all that there is. The one who is completely back like it was before when there was no sin. You see, God's sense of completion and His satisfaction was great because there was no sin in the world at that point. And the only one that can get you to that point of satisfaction is the one who existed before that. And the one who can bring you back to this place where there was no sin to start with. And so for some of you, you're not feeling satisfaction, you're not looking, or you're not feeling completion, you're not feeling rest, not because of the pace of life, but because of the purpose of life. You're trying to figure out, why is it that I can't find satisfaction? Why is it that other people seem to be satisfied and I can't do it? It's because you're looking in the wrong place. You're only going to find completion in the one who can be complete, in the one who can restore and, and renew and refresh you, in the one who can bring you back to the good before sin ever entered the world. And for some of you, you're looking and you're desperate for this rest, not of a pace, but for a purpose. And it's only going to be found in Christ. And for some of you, it's the rest that you want to experience right now. You see, he gives this example of the past, but he tells you this past rest is not just in the past. It is available now in the present. You see, when we talk about rest, especially as parents, we tend to talk about past rest and future rest. Right? I don't know if you've ever talked with about our parents, but some of you, uh, this is our conversation, that you remember days before there were kids. You remember what it was like to be able to sleep in on a Saturday morning before there were kids who were going to wake up at the same time, regardless whether it was Saturday or Friday. You remember those days, and you're like, man, those were the days when I could sleep in, when I could rest. You remember the days before you had sleepless nights because your teenager was out and you were just trying to figure out where they were at and where they were safe and if they were making good choices and if they were making bad choices. And you remember those restful days. And some of us long, and we're like, what did we do with all our time? Like we had all these, before we had kids and before we, like we just had all this time. What did we do with all that? Why did we waste so much of it? Let's be honest. And so we look past and we're like, man, we, we had times of great rest. And for some of us, we kind of relish those glory days where there was rest and there was relaxation, there was satisfaction, all that stuff, but it was past. And for some of us, we're not looking at past. Some of us, our conversations are future rest. We're looking forward to a time of rest. And for some of us, it's always like this. If I could just get my kids up and to school today, then I can have a few moments. If I can just get my kids to be quiet and go to sleep tonight then I can have a few moments of rest. 
If I can just get my kids to, to, to this stage of their life or to that stage, if I can just get my kids into school or if I can just get my kids through school, if I can get my kids through college or maybe if I can just get them married and off the payroll and off on their own, then I'll find rest, right? That maybe, maybe my future rest is the day I'm looking forward to, to my retirement. That once I reach retirement, then I'll be able to rest and I'll be able to relax and I'll be able to, to kind of feel the sense of God's presence like I never have before. And, and so there's always this out there future that we're always stretching out. We're always looking past here to something future. And we forget about the fact that rest is available to us right now. And it's available to us and we need to take hold of it right now in chapter uh, in Hebrews Verse 6, he simply says this, he says, Since it remains for some to enter rest, and those who formerly received the good news did not enter enter because of disobedience. I want you to notice how he starts that. There remains for some to enter rest. Rest. Right? This opportunity is still available. Right? It was available in the past. People did have opportunity to rest and, and be completed through Christ in the past. They didn't take advantage of it, but this remains for some. There is this opportunity. Rest is not just a past event. It wasn't just something that happened to the Jewish people in the generation of Moses. There is that, but there's now an opportunity. And he goes on verse 7, he says again, he specified a, a certain day. Today. And he quotes David in Psalm 95. He's speaking through David after such a long time. was previously stated, Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. You see, rest is not just a future event. It's not just a past event. The, the rest that we have is right now. We can experience rest now. And I want you to be clear. I want to be clear in what we're looking at. For so many of us, we're looking for rest that is, that is salvation rest. We're looking for rest that is heavenly rest. And that's great to look forward to. We'll talk about that in a minute. But we're missing out the fact that there is salvation now. That you can experience the joys of your salvation now. You can experience the rest of your salvation right now. That, that right now is the time to do this. There is rest and there is satisfaction. There is there's, uh, completion. There is joy. And all of this is available to you now. You see, we can enjoy the rest of God now. And so just now... We don't need to keep looking backwards. We don't need to keep looking forward. And we don't need to think that this idea of life is this 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 huge rat race that we all just got to keep running and eventually we'll get to the finish line when we die and then we get our reward. That's not the picture of rest that God has in mind. What He has in mind is that your whole life can be in His presence. That your whole life can be in this this satisfaction that you don't have to stop and, you, and wait for it to come. The trouble that we have so often is what the people of Israel experience is that the reason we aren't experiencing His rest now is because of the disobedience we had. You see, if you go back and you look at the history of the Israelite people, you find this up and down relationship with God. That so many of them, when things got bad... They would cry out to God and they would say, God, things are terrible. Look at this famine that we're in. Look at this army that's come to defeat us. God, we need your help. And then God, because He loved him, because He was gracious, because He was merciful, He shows up and He shows out in a way that only He can, and He helps them. He provides a leader for them, or He wipes out an entire army that's standing in front of them. He helps them. And so all of a sudden, He shows up and He does something amazing, and they're like, God, that was awesome. That was great. That was cool. We'll see you again in a couple of years when we need help again. Because we don't need you right now. Because things are good again. And so if you read the history of the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, what you find is this: when we're desperate, we're crying out for God, God shows up. And then when things are good and things are going awesome, we don't need God. And so we just shut off and we shut down and all those stuff, all the relationship with God, we don't need it at that point. And so there are some of you sitting in this room right now, the reason you're not experiencing rest and satisfaction in your relationship with Christ is because that's how you're treating your relationship with Him. You, like He's some kind of spare tire that you only pull out when the flat shows up. Instead of like He is the car itself that you need it every part of it every single day. You see, the relationship is not this up and down, is not this inconsistent, you show up when we need you and then take off when we don't need you. You see, we're never going to experience rest with this inconsistent commitment to Him. If you want God's rest, 
You have to be committed to Him. You, you have to be showing that you're willing to be obedient to Him. You can't turn your back, onto him when, or your back on Him when things are good and then expect Him to show up when things are going bad. And the reason they don't experience rest is because of their disobedience. The reason some of us sit in this room are not experiencing this, this rest that we're talking about now, this satisfaction, this completion right now, is simply because we're not in a consistent relationship with Him. We might be here Sunday morning, but what are we living like on the rest of the week? We might have our Bibles open this morning, but what do we do with it the rest of the week? Are we being obedient to Him through the rest of the week? And if the answer is no, then why do you expect to experience His rest and His satisfaction when you don't want anything to do with Him? See, the reality is that we live in a now, but not yet rest as well. Not only is rest in the past, not only is rest present, but there's this future rest that awaits us. This is the salvation rest that many of us are looking forward to. This is the salvation rest where we spend an eternity with Him. And this is the rest that awaits us. In, John, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 8, he writes this. He says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. I want you to understand the context of what he's talking about. We talked about this a little bit last week, that, that Moses was the leader of the Hebrew people, and he brings them to the promised land, to the very edge of it. They are right, just cross over the Jordan River, boom, there it is. And this is the promise that God has given. This is the, the land flowing with milk and honey. This is where the honeycombs are, are awesome. The grapes are so big that it takes two men to carry a bundle of them. This is where all that stuff is at. And this is where they don't go. And so Moses sends in these 12 spies. We talked about it last week. He sends these 12 spies in, and then 10 of the 12 spies come out, and they say, no way. It's great. It's beautiful. It's all that God promised, but we're not going in there because there's giants in that land, and they're huge and massive, and we're like grasshoppers compared to them. We're not going there. And two of them said, yeah, we can do this, Joshua and Caleb. And so because they came to the very edge of trusting God fully, the very edge of fully committing to God, and then walked away from him, God says, fine, you don't want to enter that land, you won't do it. That's what he's talking about. You don't want to enter the rest, you won't do it. And so the next 40 years, they spend wandering around just doing circles in the desert, waiting for that whole generation to die off. So none of them, except Joshua and Caleb, the two spies that came back, and all those that were really too young to kind of make up their own mind, those were the only ones that entered into that rest. And so their idea of rest was totally associated with this land, this possession that God was going to give them. And so what he's telling you in the book of Hebrews, listen, if Joshua brought them into rest, which he did, after that generation died, Joshua brings them in, the battle of Jericho, all those great stories about the walls falling down and just victories everywhere, and they, they, there's battles going on, and Joshua's this great military leader. He says, if that's all there was to rest, then why did God talk about more? Why is there talking about another day of rest? You see, what he's trying to get them to do is understand the definition of rest is not associated with this world and this place. It is not this time and this situation. It is not this physical location. It goes beyond the here and the now. The, the rest that God promises is, is spiritual and it's eternal. It is not limited to this life or this land. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. This rest is available to us now, but only in part. There's a day coming when this rest will be eternal. This is the coming when the rest of Christ is all that we are doing, that we will rest in all of eternity with Him. And it's because He has already entered into that rest. That's what he's talking about in verse 10. He says, For the person, he's talking about Christ, who has entered His rest has rested from His own works, just as God did from His. Right? So he's telling you the way to enter rest is by the one who's already done it. Someone has already entered into God's rest. And he's talking about Christ in verse 10. Christ came and He had a certain job to do, and He did this job. He came to be a sacrifice, to die on the cross, to give Himself for our salvation, and He did it. In fact, His last words on the cross, it is finished. It is complete. Picturing again uh, the creation story. It is all done. And then He passed. And then He rose again. And He went up to heaven. And He has completed His work on this earth for salvation. Salvation is done. It is not dependent on you and me continuing to work on it and do it. It is complete. Just as God's work was complete. You see, this is the promise that He gives to us in John chapter 14. 
He's telling his disciples that he's going to die. He's telling his disciples that he's going, this is the mission, that I'm going to die and I'm going to be the sacrifice and I'm going away from you. And in John chapter 14, verse 2, he says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Right? So understand that where he is, he's preparing something for us. In verse 3 of, of, he, of John chapter 14, If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself, so that where I am, you may be also. You see, there's this future rest that we are looking forward to. And this future rest is not limited to this world. It's not limited to the sufferings of this world. It is beyond everything that you can ever imagine. It is a place fully created by our Savior, fully created by our Creator, and a place that sin has never touched and will never touch because sin stops here and salvation continues on. And so he's telling you in John chapter 14 that this is the place and this is the promise. If I go and make this place for you, I'm going to come back and I'm going to bring you with me and together we will be there forever. This is the rest that he's talking about. You see, there's rest in this current world that we can experience, but there's rest, and as the old song says, beyond the river. There is rest that is only there for us through salvation. The rest of heaven is there for all of eternity with our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what so many of us are looking forward to. But don't miss the here and now rest because you're so focused on a rest that's coming one day. Several years ago, I had a conversation with a man and we were talking about faith and beliefs and, uh, and he basically came to the point where he said, you know, I, I kind of think like this. That really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere in it, that we're all going to end up in the same place one day. Right? And some of you may have heard that. Some of you may be there in, in, in kind of this idea that this relativistic idea, this postmodern idea that it really doesn't matter what you believe, that this God is, is true and God is nice and God is good and He's going to bring us all to the same place at the end anyway. So as long as you believe something, you're good to go. Right? And so I said, well, that's, that's an interesting concept. And so we, we begin to have this little deeper conversation. And I said, you're telling me that, that you can believe anything and you're going to wind up in the same place. And he said, yeah, I honestly believe that if you're a Muslim, then just be a good Muslim and one day you'll end up in heaven. And if you're a Jew, just be a good Jew and you'll end up in heaven. And I was like, oh, well, that's, I mean, I understand where you see that and I understand where you're getting that from. But let me ask you a question. What about an atheist? He said, what do you mean? I said, well... You said that as long as you, whatever you are, just be good at that, and, and then you can end up in heaven. He said, well, yeah, that's what I think, because God is loving, and God is good, and God is nice. And He wouldn't turn people away. He wouldn't make people be somewhere they don't want to be, right? I said, well, what about an atheist? And he said, well, I, I mean, I guess if they were a good atheist, then you would still wind up in heaven. And I said, well, that's odd. That seems kind of mean of God, don't you think? He says, no, no, God can't be mean. God's not mean. God's loving. That's why He's going to let everybody into heaven. And I said, you're telling me that God would make someone who doesn't believe in heaven nor want to be in heaven be there for all of eternity. And he was like, oh, never thought about it like that. I said, yeah, maybe, maybe in God's love there are some conditions and there's some rules about who gets in and who doesn't get in. He's like, oh, well, yeah, maybe those atheists don't get in. Maybe they don't because they don't want to be there, right? I was like, yeah, right. They don't want to be there. They chose not to be there. So maybe there are some conditions. And I said, well, maybe, maybe God revealed to us the way to heaven. And He says, this is me and this is who I am. And if you want to get to me, this is how you do it. And He's like, yeah, maybe He did. And I said, well, what if somebody says that that's not true? That what if somebody says, hey, you know what, I, I hear what you said, God, but I don't think that's true of you. I think I believe this about you, and I think there's a different way to you, and, and I don't really believe that what you told me was right. And I said, do you really think God's going to let somebody into heaven that's going to look him bold face in the face and say, you're lying about who you are and what you are and how to get to where you are? He's like, oh, no, I mean, maybe God wouldn't let liars in either. And I was like, now we're starting to understand. There are conditions to this invitation that are acceptable and not acceptable. You see, the reality is that we live in this world that tells you exactly what this man believed. And maybe some of you sit in here that it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're believing something, then you're good to go. But I want to share with you that the book of Hebrews specifically, and all of the Scripture tells you the exact opposite is true. 
And he tells us in the book of Hebrews that the invitation to rest is universal, but the acceptance of it is not. The rest that we see and is open to us is not accepted by everyone. And so it's not going to happen for everyone. You see, there's conditions to get into the presence of God. There's conditions to enter His rest. And not everyone is going to enter this rest. It is not a universal guarantee. And the writer of Hebrews really takes the subject to task in these first three verses of chapter one or chapter four, and starting in verse one, he says, "Therefore, while the promise to enter his rest remains, let us fear that none of you should miss it." Right? And some of your translations may say, may say that none of you may come up short. Right? He uses this race illustration of these people running a race. And so, when you are running a race, you have one person that wins, and everybody else comes up short. You have one person who, who finishes first and wins, and everybody else misses it. That's, that's the words he's using. Right? And honestly, it doesn't matter if you came up short by a, a nose or a step, or you came up short by a thousand miles. You didn't make it to where you were supposed to when everybody else did, or the first person did. So I want you to understand what he's telling you is that the distance that you missed it by is not important. The fact is that you didn't finish what you were supposed to finish and you didn't complete the race. Right? You missed it. You came up short from winning the race. Now, he's not telling you there's only one, that's only one person who's going to get him. That's not what he's telling you. What he's telling you is it doesn't matter if you missed it by an inch or you missed it by 10,000 miles. If you missed it, you missed it. There is no, ah, he's close enough. We'll let him be first runner-up to the winner? No. If you missed it, you missed it and you lost. That's the illustration that He's given you. If you miss salvation, you miss it. And it doesn't matter if you miss it by an inch or a mile. It doesn't matter if your theology was this close or this far away. If you miss who God is and who He says He is and His way to salvation, then you missed it totally. There's no such thing as being almost there. You're either there or you're not. And He says, let us Fear, right? Or, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Let us, yeah, let us fear that none of us should miss it. You see, you don't fear things that are not possibilities. And what he's telling you is there is a real possibility. This is not a hypothetical. This is not a what if. This is a real possibility that some people are going to come up short. Some people are going to miss out on this rest that God is offering. Some people are, are going to miss this moment that they have. They're going to miss the rest that they could have experienced. And he goes on in verse 2, and he says, For we also have received the good news just as they did. Get this, but the message they heard did not benefit them, since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. You see, hearing the message is not sufficient for you to enter into the rest of God. Hearing what God says about rest does not guarantee you a spot into the rest of God. And it makes that clear. He says, listen, they heard the message, but they didn't apply it. They heard the message, but it didn't benefit them. And so they're not going to be in the same heaven that you and I are going to be in because they're not going to be in heaven at all. Billy Graham, the great pastor, was once asked this question to try to trick him. He, the question came this way. He says, if Christianity is valid, why is there so much evil in the world? And someone asked him this question to kind of throw him off and, and try to say, hey, if, if what you're telling me about the gospel is true, if what you're telling me about Jesus and how he can, he can wipe away sin and how he can change people's lives, then why is there still so much evil in this world if Christianity is valid and Christianity is the answer? And Billy Graham responded, this beautiful response, and I love it so much. His simple response was this, and with so much soap in the world, there are so many dirty people still. Christianity is like soap, that it must be personally applied if it's going to make any difference at all in our life. You see, to hear the message of the cross is not sufficient enough to get you to where the cross leads. To hear the message of the gospel is not sufficient enough for you to get to the place of rest. Let me be honest with you, to have parents that are Christians is not sufficient enough for you to enter rest. To be here in church is not sufficient for you to enter His rest. For you to have your Bible, read the same place. They were all descendants of Abraham. They could all trace their lineage back 400 years before Moses showed up on the scene. They could all trace it back and say, look, we should be in God's rest because my great-great-grandfather was in the rest. And he was promised rest. 
If it was going to church and it was following the rules, they did it. They went to church. They followed the rules and yet the rest wasn't for them. Not because the message wasn't there, because they didn't accept the message. It didn't benefit them. Even though they heard it, they didn't choose to take it on personally. They didn't personally believe this. We talked about it last week. They came all the way to the very, very edge. They followed all these rules and came right here. And then they walked away from it. And they made a personal choice to be here and turn their back on it instead of going forward with it. And what the writer of Hebrews is telling you is right here. This is the place of your choice. This is the place where you decide. And so the promise was not that everybody gets in. The promise isn't that every road leads to heaven. The promise is that the message is here. The message is universal. But the acceptance has to be your choice. And he goes on in verse 3 to say this, because for we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what He says. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. And yet His works have been finished since the foundation of the world. You see, the Bible over and over and over again makes it clear that all roads, all faiths, all beliefs do not lead to the same place. They lead to one of two places. They lead either to the rest of God or they lead away from it. You see, the, the opportunity, the message is there. The question is, what do we do with it? The question is, are we going to follow in and believe it, or are we not? See, Revelation chapter 14 paints a very grim picture of those who do not believe it. Those who choose not to walk in grace in the message of the cross. Revelation chapter 14, verse 10 and 11 describes it this way. He says, we'll also, or those who don't believe, will also drink the wine of God's wrath, which is mixed full strength in the cup of His anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the sight of the holy angels and in the sight of the Lamb. Get this, verse 11. And the smoke of their torment will go up forever and ever. Pay attention. There is no rest, day or night, for those who worship the beast, his image, or anyone who receives the mark of his name. Did you hear that? There is no rest. There is torment for eternity. What you're getting is the result of all the sins that you chose instead of God. You have a choice between a road that will lead to rest and a road that leads to no rest for all of eternity. A road that is paved with God's salvation and God's option, but a road also that is not. And the choice is yours. So you see, the cross of Jesus makes God's rest universally available, but it doesn't make it universally accepted. The cross of it opens the doors, but the choice to walk through that option is yours and yours alone. You either believe it or you don't believe it. You either walk in the faith or you choose not to walk in the faith. Not all roads lead to the same place. And so that's the reason he ends this section, verse 11, really with this invitation that is today is the day of the invitation. Today is the day that you should enter his rest. And he says in verse 11, Let us then, because there is rest available, but because we know that you can change and you cannot choose the rest, let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience that you need to understand. Because we understand, there is rest that is available. That God showed us what rest and satisfaction and completion look like because He made the world that way. Because there is rest available now. Because there is rest in the future. There is a heaven and a glorious future that is waiting for all. Because you know that, but also because you know you sinned and you don't deserve that, then you choose. Do you want this rest or do you want to continue in your sins? And what he's telling you is let's make every effort so that nobody chooses to ch their sins over their salvation. And he finishes, and we'll go back to verse 7. Again, he specified a certain day. Today. Speaking through David, after such a long time as previously stated, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The Scottish pastor William Barclay once told a fable. He calls it the fable of the three apprentices. He says this, and he says, One day, the devil had three apprentices that he was training. The three apprentices were getting ready to come to earth, and they were getting ready to finish their apprenticeship. And Satan looked at them, and he says, What is your plan to ruin mankind? 
And the first one said, well, I've got a plan. I said, all right, what is it? The first one says, I'm going to tell them there is no God. Satan looked at him and he said, that's not really going to work. See, there's enough evidence that they can look around in creation. They can figure out that there's something out there. And there's enough evidence that they can figure out there is a God. So that may get a few, but that's not really going to ruin mankind. He looked at the next one and the second one said, I've got a plan. He said, all right, what's your plan? He said, I'm going to convince them that there is no such thing as hell. And they thought about it for a moment. He said, yeah, that might get a few of them. That's not going to get a lot of them. He said, what do you mean? If they don't think there's any punishment, they don't think there's any, any consequence for their sin, they'll just keep sinning. He said, yeah, listen, the problem is there's God's Word, and God's Word tells them, and there's enough people that are warning them that there is salvation, there is this place called hell, there is this place of eternal punishment. There's enough evidence that they're not really going to believe that. And what do you got? He looked at the third one. third one says, i got an idea. He says, I'm going to tell them they got plenty of time. I'm going to tell them they don't need to worry about it today. I'm going to tell them that there's always a better time than right now. Satan just rocked back and he laughed. And he said, go. Because with that, you will ruin thousands upon thousands upon thousands. William Barclay says, the most dangerous of all delusions is that there's plenty of time. The most dangerous of any delusion is that you can stand on the edge of the promise of God for as long as you want. And you can choose at any time. And there's plenty of time to get there when you want to. The most dangerous delusion for most of us is not that there's not a God. The most dangerous delusion is not that there's not a hell. The most dangerous delusion is that you can do it tomorrow or the next day. Some of you sitting in here, you will live another 80 years. Some of you sitting in here and watching online, you may live another 20 years. But there's a chance that some of you living here in this moment, you may not make it home today. And so if today you hear His voice saying, come to me, Enter my rest. If today you hear His voice calling you to the cross of Jesus, saying today you can be complete and you can be satisfied. If today you hear His voice, don't harden your heart because there may not be a tomorrow. The dangerous delusion is there is plenty of time. Let's pray.